good to see everybody in the house of the Lord this evening. And uh, we're going to start Sunday night with prayer requests. Uh, I've got a few of them, and uh, some of them I have written down. The other ones I'm trying to remember, so uh, help me out. <clears throat> Dan Ross, uh, this is from Laird Bradley. He, is, he has cancer on his vocal cords. He'll be having radiation every day for six weeks. So Brother Laird asked us to pray for Dan Ross. Remember that. And then we need to be in prayer for Daniel Perry. Severe burns on his leg and arm. This is Minnie Perry's son. And then Sandy Perry's dad, uh, he is uh, going through his final days, so be praying for him. And then for Mary uh, Tetrot, an 86-year-old, uh, she fell and broke three toes and multiple bones uh, in her foot. And this is, again, from Minnie Perry, so let's remember these in prayer. We want to remember it was on the prayer chain the other day. We want to be praying for uh, Linda Beamer. Uh, she uh, fell and had to go to the hospital. Uh, they checked her out, and, uh, and she was okay. No broken bones and nothing like that. She is bruised up. I talked to her today on the phone, and she's feeling some better, she said. And, but she wanted us to be praying for her. And then also let's be praying for Larry Beamer as he'll have cataract surgery tomorrow. So let's remember that. And then also, uh, we want to be praying for our pastor as he travels home. Remember that. Uh, but also, so David and Taylor, you guys all know David and Taylor. Taylor's sister is named Macy. And Macy, is she in college at Pensacola? Or some, yeah. She's somewhere uh, in Christian college. And she's been having some seizures. And she had some seizures that were real bad. They thought it was because of an infection, but they seem to be getting the infection cleared up, and then she still had seizures. And so she's in the hospital, and they're, you know, doing all the things, but obviously that's very scary for all of them. Her mom and dad were in Brazil, and so they're making their arrangements to get home, uh, and then, you know, David and Taylor are out in Montana, and so there's nobody had at, close to her right away. Her aunt did come down, but please pray for Macy and lift her up in prayer. Uh, just a great young lady uh, serving the Lord, uh, looking to see how the Lord's going to use her, and uh, just pray that she they'll figure out what's going on, they can get these things straightened away quickly, and then pray for her parents as they travel back. I feel like I had another prayer request that I'm missing. Is anybody Can anybody help me? No? I did okay? Brittany, obviously we want to keep Brittany in prayer and lifting her up. And, uh, yeah, we want to see her back here soon. That would be great. And so let's keep praying for her. We're just thanking the Lord for all that he's done. Amen. Miss Joan. Okay. All right. Let's remember Mildred Barker having her port put in in preparation for her, her chemotherapy. So let's remember her in prayer as well. All right. Anybody else? Turned it into Wednesday night. That's all right. Yes. That's, yep. Donnie did really well. It was a little bit longer than they thought, but he came home the same day. And he was here this morning. That was awesome to see him. And uh, we're thankful that we could, uh, that he's doing better. They, they believe they got all of the cancer. Obviously, he's going to have to have some more uh, scopes and all that done, but be praying for them. Uh, but uh, 
he was uh, thanking the Lord that everything went well. So keep praying for Donnie. All right. All right. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get right to it. Where are my ushers? We're going to take up an offering. You ready for this? Did you get a bulletin? There's announcements in it. They're all the same ones I said this morning. There you go. Uh, but do remember a couple of things. Remember our concert with the Nottingham Four. We're looking forward to that. And then we also are looking forward to the winter revival. And I will just say, or spring revival, however you want to call it, uh, and that exposition conference. And I had a young pastor from Kingsport, Tennessee, call me. And he said, I'm going to come to your conference. He said, I hadn't been a pastor very long. And he said, I'm just going to tell you, I have a, I'm struggling to prepare three messages a week. And I need some help. And I said, well, come on up. And we want to help and be a blessing to him. And so uh, we're thankful that we can be here. And I think it'll be a great help to him that week. And you know what? I'm not going to knock on him too much. But there's a whole lot in that book, right? He shouldn't have no problems, right? <laughs> but anyway, uh, we'll pray for him and, and hopefully be a blessing to him while he's up here. All right, TJ, will you ask a blessing on the offering? Shall ever roll. He's a lily 
every time I try to make it on my own. Every time I try to stand and start to fall. And all those lonely roads that I have traveled on, there was Jesus. When the life I built came crashing to the ground, when the friends I had were nowhere to be found, I couldn't see it then, but I can see it now. There was Jesus. In the waiting, in the searching, in the healing and the hurting, like a blessing buried in the broken pieces. Every man Savior of the 
somebody as the choir comes down, tell them it's good to see him in the house of the Lord tonight. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bible to Matthew chapter number 2. Matthew chapter number 2. Uh, I want to, uh, I want to, Eric, Eric gave me permission to preach the message this morning that I was going to preach. That's what he said. I, was, I, I told him, I said, I'm thinking about just preaching what I had for tonight. And he said, no, go and preach the other one. I said, okay. So if you don't like it, it's Eric's fault. And uh, that's a good rule to live by anyway. Uh, it's, it's usually Eric's fault. I worked with Eric for a long time. We blamed a lot of stuff on him, and it was really awesome. We enjoyed that. So, uh, and we still do. It just works, doesn't it, Eric? Yeah, he, he can bear the load. Amen. All right. Matthew chapter number 2. Uh, I, want to, uh, I want to read a couple of verses. I'm going to start in verse number 1. And I love the Word of God, how it can also just, uh, in one verse, it can help you to just make sure that you know what you need from that chapter and what's going what's gonna to happen. Uh, I love studying the Bible. Uh, I told somebody this morning, I said, I love preaching the Word of God so much, and I just love studying the Bible. I'm never, I'm always amazed at how well uh, it just presents itself gives us what we need, uh, and it's absolutely wonderful. So in uh, Matthew chapter 2, verse number 1, I'm going to read there. I'm going to read down a, a little bit, uh, and then we'll ask the Lord to help us. It says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. What I like I said, I love this about the scriptures. In verse 1, you get all of the people and the things that you need to pay attention to. You need to pay attention to Jesus. Amen. That's important. And then he tells us about in Bethlehem of Judea. He tells us about Herod the king. And then he tells us about the wise men that come from the east. These are the characters that you need to make sure that you have the information about them that is going on. And then you're familiar with it. It says in verse number 2, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, Here's our first prophetic statement of chapter number 2. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people 
Israel. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you've already done with us this week. This morning, we thank the Lord for the souls that you saved. Dear Lord, we put an emphasis on preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, of talking much about him, what he's done for us, what he can do for others. Dear Lord, I pray that you would uh, cement in the hearts that have made a commitment, dear God, that they have now given their life to Christ. Uh, we choose to follow you with our whole life. We choose to follow you with everything that we are. Dear Lord, I know that in a world where uh, we seem to have so many things thrust at us that are the most important or the most this and, and all of those things, dear Lord, I pray that there would be a, a deep understanding in our heart and life that it, when it comes to the spiritual matters, that dear God, these are truly, without a doubt, the most important things. They take they take a back seat to nothing. Put it down in our heart, dear God, that we would realize that we are preaching to, to souls for an eternal decision. Things will matter for all time. Dear Lord, we are often blinded by the things of this world that seem to matter so much, but in the light of eternity play such a small part. Dear God, help us to be, uh, have a, a kingdom view. Thank you for the book of Matthew that teaches us of the king and his kingdom. And I pray that you just use it, use your word tonight in a mighty way. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I am excited to preach from you, Matthew. As I keep looking through this book, uh, I, I, I was already looking ahead. Uh, and in I've, chapter number three, I'm going to preach about the, uh, John the Baptist. I'm excited. I'm already, though, so far ahead. I'm, I'm excited about chapter number four, temptation of Jesus Christ, so much that it teaches us. And then when you go past that and we get to the Sermon on the Mount, we might be here next Christmas still preaching on the Sermon on the Mount because I'll tell you, though, that is there is a wealth of there that speaks of the kingdom of God. And we live in a time that... Everything, the kingdom of God is almost at complete odds with everything that this world teaches. It truly is. It is at complete odds. And uh, there's so many things that I'm excited to preach about that. Uh, and the other day I read a book, uh, and I, did, I, I haven't mentioned any books here lately. I got caught up reading quite a few secular books for different reasons. Uh, I read a book. Uh, it was a pretty good book. Uh, but it had to do with leadership and stuff like that. But they were acting like it was the most novel idea that they had come up with, that as a leader, that you should, be, you should really be the one serving others. And I was just like, have they not read the Sermon on the Mount? Have they, do they not know what Jesus Christ said? The first shall be last and the last shall be first. I mean, this is basic stuff of Christianity. And they were acting like, I'm going to revolutionize you know, your leadership ability with this book. And I was like, man, this is, this is what Christianity uh, teaches us and what Christ has shown us in his life. And I'm thankful for that. And we're going to look back at that. And it goes once again to prove if you will live according to the scriptures, then you will be the smartest person 
in the room. I believe that. Don't rely on your own understanding. Don't come up with all your own stuff. Just know the Bible. Speak the truth of the Word of God. You'll be the smartest person in the room. It's the truth. Anyway, i got to start preaching so that we know where we're at tonight. Matthew chapter number 2. Here we are with the presentation. I mentioned it already this morning. That the fact that Jesus Christ is the rightful king and he is the king who has been spoken of by the prophets. He is the one who is going to come. He is going to take his place. And throughout the... Here we are. We've just moved out of a study of the minor prophets where what happens in all of these minor prophets, what takes place is we see in most of the minor prophets and specifically the ones that are being quoted right here is that Jerusalem is in trouble. Jerusalem has... Israel's in trouble, you better, you better repent, or guess what? God is going to bring judgment to you. He's going to have to bring uh, exile to you, however it's going to be. God's going to do this. But in the midst of all of those messages, what did we find over and over again in the minor prophets? He kept giving them a promise that one day a king was coming, and he would set his people free that he would redeem them, that he would bring them back, that he would establish in the land of Israel as Jerusalem being the capital, that he would present a king. And all throughout those minor prophets, I don't know if you remember, but sometimes I started to feel like a broken record when we would preach them because it would be like, hey, you need to repent. Hey, you need to look out. But guess what? I have good news for you to look forward to the king is on his way. The king is on his way. And then as we come to Matthew and we find chapter number 2, as we have already looked, he said, listen, I'm going to prove to you that Jesus is the king. Here's his genealogy. He should be the king. Not only should he be the king by that, but he's born of God. Divine, uh, 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 he's born of divine nature and he's 100% God. He deserves to be the king. And then, in proper biblical fashion. And I don't think that we put enough weight. I, I think it's because our, uh, our upbringing is not of a Jewish tradition. That we do not put enough weight or understand maybe enough, or maybe get excited enough about the fact that Jesus Christ is fulfilling all of these prophecies. I mean, we mention it, we talk about it, but as a matter of fact, and one of the things that I think is so important about that is when you go and you look through the book of Acts, that you'll find that when, when Paul was preaching Jesus to the Jewish people, the Bible kept saying that he proved by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. That's what he did. He would go back to the Old Testament, and I believe that he would show and say, look, Look at this prophecy. Look at this prophecy. Look at this one right here. They all point to Jesus Christ. And they would go, and you remember, as a matter of fact, in the book of Acts, it said that those at Darby, what did they do? They went back and searched the scriptures and found those things to be true. As a matter of fact, they only do you have to look at that, but you can look at Jesus Christ himself, who, remember, after he had risen from the dead... And he was on the road there to Emmaus, right? 
and he's talking to those people who are doubting what's taken place and doubting the resurrection and wondering what in the world can all of these things mean. What does Jesus do? The Bible says he began at Moses and the prophets and revealed how Jesus Christ had done everything. He fulfilled all of the prophecies. And you know what that did for that Jewish man, that Jewish woman? It's secured in their heart that this is the Messiah. And so it's important. And it shows us that Jesus Christ, but re remember, and I'm doing a little bit more preaching in the intro that I wanted to do, but that's okay. And remember, while it doesn't necessarily hold all of this weight because we didn't grow up learning it and talking about it all the time, memorizing scripture the way that the Jewish people would. But at the same time, it shows us that if Jesus came the first time, he's coming back the second time. He will do what he said he will do. So he's coming back and the prophecy is there for us. And so we see in this passage of scripture that Jesus Christ is revealed to us as the one who is fulfilling prophecy. These are beautiful prophecies that are fulfilled here. As we said already, they are geographical prophecies. They have to do with the places that Jesus would be and the things, not only that, but also the things that Jesus would do. And isn't that amazing? God, God didn't leave anything. These are not, these are not vague prophecies, right? Where is Jesus going to be born? In Israel. No, it doesn't say that. In Bethlehem in Judah, in this little place. This is where the king is going to be born. And so he brings it to us. And we talked about that this morning, didn't we? And we loved how it was presented to us. Bethlehem is the city of David. It is the city of the shepherds and of the shepherd king that Jesus Christ is. What a wonderful picture of Jesus Christ being a unique kind of king in the fact that he is also our shepherd. Also, I do believe with all of my heart that that's what makes David such an unusual king when he comes to reign. That his training was not inside of the palace. His training was not inside of uh, of royal thing, but it was out there among the sheep, caring for the sheep and taking care of them. Those things are so beautiful. I believe it is what gave David a, a unique connection to God in that he had time as a young man to meditate on the things of God. And he was one who had time alone to meditate and to consider the things of God. And as, it, as he grew into a man and into, into a king, it, it determined how he would rule and how he would reign. And this Jesus Christ is very much the same. Well, he is the better David, the greater David. He is the one that comes along. And we talked about those this morning. And aren't they wonderful that he knows his sheep by name? Absolutely wonderful. Read this. There's a reason Psalm 23 is so important to us. I would encourage you, every one of you, to memorize Psalm 23, to commit it to memory. And when you're maybe not feeling so great, it's a great place to go back to and meditate on those words of Psalm 23. Scripture reading is important. Daily Bible reading is important. But did you know that the Bible talks way more about meditating on the Word of God than it does even about reading it? 
you would probably be better off in your life if you wouldn't just spend mindless time reading the Word of God, but if maybe you would dedicate a smaller amount of time into Bible memorization so that later on you could bring that to recall it to your mind when you might need it the most. I'm not saying that you shouldn't get up and do your devotions in the morning and read certain passages of Scripture. I'm not saying that you shouldn't try to read through the Bible in a year. That's a great thing to do. But what I am saying is that we also need to comprehend and meditate on the Word of God. It's important and it's needful in our life. And when we look at Psalm 23 and we see all those things about what's going on, we see this great depth of love that the shepherd has for his sheep and how he knows them, how he brings them where he's going, how he provides for them, how he puts them in the pasture that they need to eat in, how he brings them to the water that they need to drink of, how he again anoints their head with oil. And there is plenty of commentary and there are volumes of books. As a matter of fact, if you want one, Spurgeon has one called The Treasury of David. And as he goes in and breaks down the Psalm 23, it is absolutely amazing as he talks about the shepherd and how it relates to the sheep and what he is doing for there. And when you realize that's what Jesus Christ is doing for you, it's pretty special in your life. He goes after that one that's astray. Man, it was good this morning, amen? I think in some ways he went after one of those one that left the 99 this morning, amen? Let me tell you, Satan's going to be all over them, you know, right? He didn't like it that they came into church this morning, got some victory and got some joy in the Lord, and now he's going to be on their case double. And we ought to be praying for them, lifting them up, trying to be a blessing to them in whatever way that we can, reminding them of what Christ is doing and wants to do. Listen, we are called to more than just preaching the gospel, amen, right? What did Jesus Christ say to his disciples? Go ye therefore, preach, teach, and baptize them in the name. That teach, what, remember what Jesus said, teach them everything that I've told you. Everything. That's a lot of stuff, amen? We're gonna take, it's going to take us a while to give them all that information. Guess what? I know that there's plenty of preaching that's done on it, and it still needs to be done. But discipleship doesn't just happen from the pastors, amen? As a matter of fact, it's probably way more likely that you're going to be able to disciple someone better than me, amen? It's probably going to be easier. Hey, if your children get saved in your home, you're going to be better at discipling them than me. They're not my kids. I don't see them. Right? I don't get them up in the morning to go to school. Isn't that the worst job ever? What? That's terrible. I'd be so glad when that's all over with, right? And you get them up. Anyway, it's, it's, these are not my job. It's your. And so discipling them, bringing them along. And we have one that got saved this morning. We need to do that. And then he says, his sheep know his voice. Boy, I want to keep reminding ourselves of that. I want us to remember that Oh man, God is doing a unique thing when he calls someone to salvation. He knows who he is calling. And the Bible says that they hear his voice and they know it. 
know it. I've got a lot of things I can say, but I'm going to keep moving on this, this evening. I, I don't want to preach too long on that one right there. Out of Bethlehem, that's where he will be born. Called out of Egypt, called out of a life of captivity. Any time for the Jewish people that something was brought out of Egypt, they understood exactly what that meant and what that represented. The Passover would go clearly in their mind. They would remember that they were slaves to Pharaoh. They were working at something. I mean, just, again, how powerful is the Word of God? They were working their entire lives in Egypt for something that would never, ever be theirs. If that is not the best definition of slavery, I don't know what it is. And you know what? There's a lot of people in this world that are working their lives away for something they will never, ever own. Because when they die and leave this world, it will all be gone. They will not take it with them. They will have nothing to show for it. When they stand before God one day and are judged and the fire judges their works, it will all be consumed and gone away. Only what's done for Jesus Christ will remain. That's it. And here, we can be freed from that life of slavery and bondage. Brought into a place where our works and efforts can have eternal significance. A place where when we work for the kingdom of God and for the kingdom of heaven, and when we lay up treasures in heaven... They will never, they can't be eaten up by the moth. Rust isn't going to get them. The fire will show them to be pure. And then one day we will lay those crowns down at Jesus' feet. We'll be happy to do it. Not only that, we'll see loved ones we prayed for in heaven one day. We'll see the eternal difference that God made in every way. We'll say it's been worth every mile following Jesus. He sets us free. He makes our life worth living. He gives us things. Inside of that fear and that bondage, there is fear of the future. For, no, for those that do not know Jesus Christ, there is constant fear of what the future will hold. They fear what tomorrow will bring. Hmm. I'm going to tell you, our news, I'll tell you what, if there's not a new disaster, right, then they don't know what to do, so they create one, right? I mean, I'm telling you, we got, and, no, and no disaster is left unexploited by them, right? They're going to tell you about it for a month of Sundays, right? Unless something happens to a Democrat, then you don't hear about it. Anyway, I'll do a little bit of but no, you, you hear all the bad news, you hear all the terrible, and there's always something that's, that's the new disaster that's on its way. And it's going to take place and you better watch out because they fear the future. For the person who doesn't know Jesus Christ, as a matter of fact, the future they fear the most is eternity. They do not know what will happen when they leave this life. They try to their best to convince themselves that nothing will happen. And that seems like the best plan that they can come up with. But I want to tell you, with all assurity from the Word of God, convinced by the Holy Spirit, and also the testimonies of many saints I've seen 
go on to be with the Lord, that there's something on the other side. That there is something that awaits us. Oh my. Daryl's teaching us a new song about how we're made for more. Oh man, we are made for more. We are made for more. We do not need to fear that. We are also relieved of the guilt of our sin by Jesus Christ. He has defeated sin, therefore death, hell, and the grave have no sway on the believer. That's freedom. That's coming out of Egypt right there. And then we see that he's called out of, the Bible says there, an unusual part. I want to read this uh, when we go. Let's go to verse number 16 of the chapter we were in, chapter number 2. You remember the story, hopefully you do from Christmas time. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled, which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, In Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping, and a great mourning. Rachel, weeping for her children, and would not be comforted, because they are not. What a sad prophecy to be fulfilled during the time of Jesus. What a sad prophecy to be fulfilled during his birth. But yet Jesus Christ did fulfill all of these, and we see these things to be true. That in that place, in Ramah, which is right next to Bethlehem, as a matter of fact, the way that they would put it is in Bethlehem and Ramah, kind of the idea there was they were so close that if people were mourning and crying in one city, you could hear it in the other city. And here they are lamenting the death of their children. And just as Jeremy, who also this prophecy was also fulfilled in Jeremiah's time, but also was fulfilled again and foreshadowed in the time of Jesus Christ, that this lament was going out. And the weeping of Rachel, this one who is so important to the children of Israel, as a mother uh, who, is, who is bearing much of the children of Israel, has got someone who lost her own life in childbearing. And again, if you want to go home and, and do some great studying, just get alone with that and meditate on those scriptures and how that all takes place. But here it is, one who's crying out. Crying out for the brokenness of this world to be no more. Crying out against those who shatter innocence. And I've already talked about that. About how Herod, in his evil ways, Herod, in his in his in his attempts to hold on to his power and to say in his heart that he is king, he kills the innocence of all of these children. And boy, do we live in a land that in a desire to hold on to their power and a desire to be king and a desire to feel in control is robbing our country of any innocence that it would have. I remember when we used to feel like, you know, at least, at least still in our country, if someone does something to a child, we throw the book at them. 
but the stuff we're doing to our children in our country today is absolutely disgusting. We kill our unborn and then we mutilate our young children in the name of progressiveness. We are robbing them of their innocence, trying to say we are in control. Oh, it's time for us to submit that control to Jesus Christ. He is King of Kings. His word is still true. His way is still best. And I know a world that's upside down does not like it. But guess what? Inside of these walls, inside of this community, inside of those that still love Jesus Christ, there is a testimony that this way still proves and provides happy families, wonderful families. I know everything's not perfect. Don't get me wrong. But guess what? There's still a lot of joy inside of our families. I got a lot of joy in my family. I minister to you and I think there's a lot of joy in your families. God's blessed us in a special way. We ought to make sure that we are taking care and note that these things are true and they're God's way. They're His way. We've said you are king of our life. A cry against all that's going on. A cry out of Ramah and a cry that was heard. We said that He comes out of Nazareth, that little place. Isn't it amazing? And I mean, we don't think about this much, okay? But in the day and time, a little bit of culture for you, a little bit of recognition, in a day and time where people walked everywhere that they went to travel, everything that they would do, it would not be uncommon for somebody in the day of Jesus Christ to not travel more than 50 miles outside of a sphere in their entire life. But here we have Jesus Christ who is born in Bethlehem, he travels to Egypt, and then he goes all the way to Nazareth of Galilee, of that little place. Why did he do all that? So that the scriptures would be fulfilled. I'm telling you, it's no coincidence. It's no small thing. Jesus Christ is making sure that every I is dotted and every T is crossed, that not one jot or tittle of the law would be undone, but everything would be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He left nothing undone. He completed it all. And here he comes out of Nazareth. And they say, he's a Nazarene. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Can any good thing? And here he is. We already mentioned it just like a common man. I'll tell you what, he is a unique king. He walks among us. He knows who we are, where we've been. You know, he knows what it's like. Jesus knows what it's like to do a hard day's work. Jesus knows what it's like to be hungry, and tired. As a matter of fact, Jesus knows what it's like to be sad. Jesus wept. John eleven thirty five. I think in a lot of ways Jesus knows what it's like to be disappointed. When he looked at his disciples and said, how long have I been with you? You don't know who I am. You've seen me. You've seen the Father. But he was disappointed with Peter a lot, right? disappointed with us too he was a real man 
He walked this earth. And he did everything. I mean, he lived in a much tougher time than we live in, that's for sure. I'm sure there was probably a few nights he went to bed hungry, very hungry. I'm sure there was a couple of times that, that he needed rest, but yet it was difficult to come by as all of the people thronged him and, and wanted his attention. We could keep going about the life of Jesus Christ and how it was so much like ours. I think there was also times where he, the Bible tells us, remember when he fed the 5,000, the Bible said that he took his disciples, he said, let's go away and rest for a while. But he couldn't. He couldn't. That was right after John the Baptist died. Let's go away. Let's go away and rest. But he couldn't because the people were thronging him. They had, and what did he do? He started teaching and preaching. He was tired. He was hungry. He was discouraged. All of those things. In the Garden of Eden, I believe he was stressed beyond the limit that we can understand. And he sweat great drops of blood. And he poured out his soul before a living God that he knew intimately. And he said, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, and he, in the greatest mystery that we could probably ever see, the son submitted his will to the father in a demonstration of what we ought to do. Saying even, we, even the son, even the son, submitted his will to the Father, that he would take the cross for us, take the wrath of Almighty God poured out upon himself. Oh, he became, and I said it this morning, he became a man not to just identify with us, he became a man to redeem us because we needed a man to redeem us from our sins, to lay down his life for us. And aren't you glad that he did? And in all of that, all of that to say this, right? All of that to say this. The wise men were looking for him, weren't they? Where is he that's born king of the Jews? And when they found him, they worshipped him. They worshipped him. But Herod, the wicked king, in an effort to hold on to his power, destroyed so much. You can go back and read about Herod. He was an evil man killed one of his own brothers. They talk about, I can't remember the number, but I read it. it was up in the hundreds of people that he murdered, not including what we're talking about in the children, all in an effort to keep his power and to keep who he was, destroying lives, holding on to power. All that he worked for, he don't have any of it today. Not one thing but I kind of have a feeling we might see those wise men up in heaven one day, amen? amen? As they worship the King of Kings. And so you have a choice, don't you? Will you submit to the King of Kings or will you hold on to your power? Oh, it's, it's not even real, but yet we hold on to it so hard, don't we? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Daryl, get us a hymn invitation tonight. We covered a lot this evening. We got those we need to pray for. We got some that maybe still need to submit. Submit their life to the King of Kings. You know the altar is always open.
Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the day you blessed us with. We're going to praise you for the soul saved. We're going to keep praising you for the soul saved. Saying thank you, Lord, for what you've been doing. Dear Lord, even, even on a, starting on a Tuesday night at Kids Club, save a young man's soul. Continue working throughout the week so that on a Sunday morning we can see souls saved. Lord, we pray that you'd keep, keep that in our hearts and in our minds. Make that the focus of what we do here. I know you'll honor it and you'll bless it. Then, dear Lord, use your word as we come in and glean from it and learn from it. I know, dear God, that, that you can take a small portion of your scripture or what's been said as we point it and, and, and help somebody all week. And, dear Lord, use it however you see fit. Dear Lord, we, we know it's not that we're crafting these amazing sermons. We know that it is the power of the Word of God that makes the difference in the lives of believers. And so we're counting on your Word to do that work. Use it mightily. Use it this evening. In your name we pray. Amen. As we stand and sing. When I see the sunrise in the morning